Welcome to the Active Listening Podcast. I'm your host, Arianna, and I have the great pleasure of unearthing the stories and thoughts of others. Today is our final episode in the Church Anne series, and we get to hear from Phil Drysdale. Phil is passionate about helping others find community and understanding amidst their journey of faith deconstruction. He is active on social media, breaking down myths, and supporting people who need encouragement and a listening ear. Before we begin, I'd like to say a few things. I hope if you are starting a journey of deconstruction or are in the midst of it, please know that you don't have to do it alone. I know it can be scary, terrifying even, and incredibly lonely to think and feel and ask questions that many others in your faith community may not understand and may ostracize you for. It is not an easy road to dive into what you believe about faith, your upbringing, and even who you are at your very core. It's all so interconnected, and it can be quite a process of discovery. And for those who may have experienced trauma or abuse from the Christian church at large, I am deeply, deeply sorry, and my heart grieves for you. Words alone won't heal the hurt, but please know that you are seen and often in our thoughts as we are having conversations and sharing stories, especially here on the podcast. And one final note, we may not always share the same viewpoints or opinions as our guests, But our desire is for people to feel safe to join us at the table and on this journey of life together. I may not come to the same conclusions on everything Phil has, and you might not either. But at least we can come together and bridge the divide with grace. My desire is to share perspectives and stories of others while encouraging you to think for yourself and stir up good conversations. And while we're at it, may we continue to love well. So please... Listen in on our final episode of the season as we talk about church and deconstruction. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Arianna, and I have the great pleasure today of interviewing Phil Drysdale. For you who don't know who he may be, he currently resides in Sale, England with his wife, and he loves theology, although he's not a theologian. And he has his bachelor's degree in computer network design and management and also graduated from the Bethel School of Ministry. You're active on social media and you write topics within Christianity, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes. And you also have a podcast called The Phil Drysdale Show. So can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? What are some things happening in your world right now? Sure. Uh, well, I mean, with COVID and stuff, not much is happening in my world right now, but <laughs> very much yep, just no, that's sitting in the house. For everybody. Um, but yeah, no, so um, I I used to travel and speak a lot in kind of Christian, mostly charismatic, evangelical kind of circles and, and you know, do a lot of um, church meetings, conferences and stuff like that. And in doing that, I came across loads of different people that um we're going through different pain points we're realizing that they had problems within the church that the church wasn't able to answer there wasn't a safe place to ask questions um and so obviously you ask the question of the random guy that's visiting um and so started i personally had already kind of unraveled a lot of my faith and was just trying to kind of go into churches and help people take a few steps forwards in certain directions i thought might be more healthy um and in doing all of that, I, I've kind of um, stumbled into um, finding myself help those that are in the process of a common expression for it would be deconstructing their faith. It's a very buzzword right now. There's 110 yeah. different words that people use for this kind of um, this kind of process. Um, but mm-hmm. basically, people that are going through a radical shift in their um, their way of seeing the spiritual world, their spirituality, um, which can be very hard very destabilizing um very scary very exciting yeah. a whole, whole host of emotions go along with it um totally so, i've been there i've done that mm, oh there you go you you know that it's uh yep. it's a lot um it's a lot to go through and it, and it looks different for everyone but there's definitely a lot of core um similar themes that people people um go through um and so yeah my my life has kind of evolved into helping people on that journey um trying to um, give them a safe place to explore, to journey that out, to figure out where they're at. Um, there's no requirement from me for it to look like anything. I really could not care less if you go from being a passionate evangelical Christian to an atheist, or if you go from an atheist to right. being an 
passionate Christian evangelical. I, that, that's irrelevant to me. The, the, the end goal is not something that I really um, focus on. It's, it's, it's literally what is the next best healthy step for people that are going through a difficult season, figuring out where they're at in their faith. Um, and so, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's kind yeah. of what I'm about right now. Right. That's awesome. And so I guess this led you to start the Deconstruction Network, correct? Yeah. So one of the things I discovered, I talked to hundreds of people every week, really. A lot of what I do is spending hours and hours a, a day talking with people online, helping them. Uh, it's usually the best way to, to help people is a very mm-hmm. uh, one-on-one practical approach. Uh, it's not the most effective time mess- <laughs> time usage, but it is the most uh, effective in helping people. Um, but one of the things that I found again and again and again was people were asking, look, I feel utterly alone in this. Um, is there mm. anyone you know that's in Toronto, California, you know, LA or London or, you know, whatever, Cairo? Um, because yeah. for, for most people that go on this journey, um, we don't realize this quite as much when we're in the mix of the whole kind of um, Christian bubble. But generally speaking, we can be best friends with someone for 30 years. And if you turn around and say, hey, I'm rethinking what I believe about God or what I believe about hell or what I believe about the cross overnight, Mm -hmm. they don't want to talk to you ever again. They they need to draw some very clear boundaries. Now, not every relationship is like that by any means. There's a lot of very great, wonderful people that, that, um, go alongside people on this journey and try and help. Um, but even in that, that can be a very unhelpful process. It can be very controlling, trying to get people back into believing the way that they want you to believe. Um, Christianity has become very much a, um, for the majority in Western Protestant Christianity has become a, a religion about right beliefs. And so there's a list of right beliefs. And if you disagree, well, you end up in another denomination, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And if you disagree too much, you're not even allowed there, you know, you're out. Um, And so people find themselves, you know, kicked out of their communities, their churches. It's very, um, it's very lonely, very painful. They lose friends. Often they lose family. I I talk to a lot of people that completely Mm -hmm. um, are disconnected from their family. The family will not talk to them anymore. They're, they're done. They're just written off. And I mean, it it talks about the depth to which we kind of um, link a lot of things to these beliefs. You know, I mean, this is a really important belief if you're willing to never talk to your son or never talk to your brother again, you know. Um, I know. It's crazy. That was the heart behind the Deconstruction Network was I was seeing so many people really feeling like they do this on their own. You know, that people that are end up leaving these churches, a lot of people that leave the church do not leave by choice. They leave by... Mm -hmm. uh, uh, a decision of those within the church it's uh it's right. you know the right boot of fellowship a lot of people call it um and uh what happens is you're seeing thousands and thousands of people and so in the u.s uh, the data in the u.s is the, the best data we have on things like this but in the u.s we have 2700 people leave the church the institutional church every day um, every day yeah that's over wow. three million a year are leaving the church right now um wow and that's not from one church to another church. That's people that decide I'm done with church. I'm not doing it anymore. And so mm-hmm. you are talking a mass exodus. And so I can guarantee anyone that messages me saying, I feel alone. I wish there was someone I could be processed with. I wish there was someone like me. I guarantee there's probably two of them on a street, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but you don't know, like when you leave a Baptist church um, because you no longer associate with the Baptist because you're charismatic maybe. Well, you go to a charismatic church. You know where to go. You know where to find people like you. But when you think, I'm kind of done with this whole institution of church, or maybe you've been kicked out of the institution of church, where do you go? There's not a, you know, get together and have a no church church, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. And so it can be very lonely. It's very hard to meet people. And so my heart was, if I just put a map on the internet and people can just put a dot where they are and then mm-hmm. you, you'd search, you know, I'm in LA, click. And it goes, oh, there's 40 people in LA. I can just send them a message and say, hey, do you want to get coffee sometime or do you want to chat online a bit and see if we click and then maybe, you know, go for dinner or, you know, like just to try and meet someone in person because there's so many Facebook groups and things like that on the internet that are barely holding this group of people together. You know, it's it's very, very hard um, to be doing this on such a lonely, uh, in such a lonely place of uh, mind uh, but these groups are like a lifeblood to people, but there's nothing, you know, I'm sitting on a Facebook group a couple of times a day and chatting with people is not the same as, you know, laughing to your belly aches at a pub with a friend mm-hmm. or crying on their shoulder because, you know, you're struggling. Like that's 
a very different experience. Everyone that's everyone that's in the midst of COVID right now can can testify to this because they've started to realize what it is to turn all their friendships and their relationships oh, into an online relationship. It's not the same. Yeah. And that's with no, people you know. know. Um, try doing that with people you barely know and you just have a similar experience of being isolated from church or kicked out of your communities or just trying to realize what you're about with God and, and figure that out. And so that's the heart. And, and it's, you know, it's about one and a half thousand people on there now. So it's very slow uh, going. Um, it's quite brand new, really. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, people already are, you know, meeting up with other people, people in Chile, people in Colorado, people in London, you know, all over the world, people are starting to connect. And, and that's a really exciting thing because it's it's it means a lot more than than you can really articulate on a podcast to, right. to that person it is genuinely life to them um to have another person that they can see in the flesh and go oh you're like me and we can talk freely and there's no judgment and we've had similar experiences and we know the pain that each other have been through um yeah it's it's it's, it's great and, and we're also doing a lot of research through that as well so the the goal is that um through that website, we're going to be um, we're working with a research company here in the UK, and we're doing research into the deconstructing community because a lot of the rhetoric around what this group is like comes from the church. Um, and so, you go type deconstruction into the inter- into the internet, you know, you'll get a good uh, Charisma magazine or Relevant magazine article or something like that, and it's full of pastors telling you what deconstructing Christians are like, and it's just yeah. it's bull, it's absolute nonsense. Most of it, it's oh, they didn't they weren't passionate enough. Well, that's not true actually. That generally speaking when you look at people that have deconstructed they are much more likely to have been heavily involved in their Mm -hmm. church than the average person in a church Um, my hands up i was one of them yeah it's almost always it's someone that is much more passionate and driven in pursuing god in finding out what god is like in in having a relationship with god those people are much more likely to deconstruct than someone and it makes sense than someone just kind of going to church on sunday quite happy to sing a few songs and then go home and not think too much because the process Mm -hmm. of deconstruction generally comes from thinking too much (laughs) yeah right Uh, so it's very true people that go through this um so the 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 lies that are spread about this group as well um and i don't think it's an intentional smear campaign or anything i think it's just ignorance and so our heart to create data is to um hopefully change the narrative give a voice to those who don't feel they have a voice um yeah sorry that was a big long ramble about what i'm doing but uh that's that's what <laughs> no, I'm that's great you actually <laughs> answered several of my questions in your ramble so that's there perfect <laughs> um so i grew up in an evangelical faith community okay uh, what kind of faith community did you grow up in and how did that impact your beliefs and start you on this journey sure well my dad was a baptist pastor which is quite different a lot of people in america canada will hear baptist and probably think kind of more um quite rigid fundamental conservative um that's just because one kind of segment of the baptist uh, church has become the most popular um but the baptist church is actually very broad and so he was actually a pentecostal baptist pastor um, wow they're out there uh, my mom was very charismatic. Um, and so I grew up in a kind of weird kind of mix of evangelical, Baptist, charismatic, uh, Pentecostal. Mm-hmm. Um, we were really small churches. My dad was moved around a lot because they he was an evangelist. So he'd bring in people like he'd bring in the like town prostitute or that guy that got a divorce or, you know, he'd get these people saved and brought into church. And then everyone would be staring at them, you know, from the you know front of the church with their like, you know, nice prim and proper hats and suits and you know oh but you've, you've brought a homeless man into church or you know they just didn't like um my dad very much once they got to know him because <laughs> yeah. my dad loved everyone he really does right. um and so we frequently were kind of moved around from church to church and often to very small failing churches because my dad was so good at, at bringing new people in and he would get get, get boom again they would, they would be growing and thriving Um, but that unfortunately pissed off all the kind of old guard, you know, they were really Mm -hmm. upset that all these new people come, but that person's homeless, you know, know, Jesus would much rather a nice upstanding citizen. Um, Right, because that's exactly what the Bible says. A hundred percent, right? That's right there. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's the majority message of the gospels. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And so I was quite um, disillusioned, if I'm honest. I honestly didn't really care. Uh, It obviously worked well for my parents. It was something they were passionate about. I just saw going to churches, going to this thing full of old people that were constantly complaining. You know, one church we went to almost split over the color of the new church carpet. You know, I'm like, God, like this is like, this is important to them, you know? Um, And so I kind of just 
got my head down. I kind of didn't really care about it as a kid. I didn't really think about that stuff. I, I probably prayed when I was going to bed and um, I was probably like racked with guilt over my porn addiction as a teenager because obviously that's all that um, teenagers are taught to about is don't masturbate oh. to porn. Um, yeah. That's that's the one message that God cares about as a teenager. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, it was only really later on I started to, probably about the age of 16, 17, I started to take things a bit more seriously because I'd moved to a new church where there was this thriving youth group. Um, and, I, and I was like, oh, this is this is interesting. People my age are engaging with this. And so I started to engage with it. But I'd always been brought up to think for myself, to question. My mom really hammered that into me, um, which was really a downside for her. She had to put up with a kid that was constantly questioning authority. Um, but she'd always kind of said, you know, question things, don't accept things for what they are. You know, you need to think about these things rationally. You need to research and look at, is that true? Um, and so I was constantly changing my beliefs and my ideas. Um, and I was bouncing around all over the place. I went from um, a Baptist church to an independent church, to a brethren church, to a charismatic church in California. I, I mean, I bounced around. Um, wow. And I've always been interested, even when I was at the charismatic church in California, I was doing a, a Bible school that was charismatic. All the books were by the, the teachers there. Um, and yeah, I was like, okay, well, if they're just going to be teaching one thing, I need to explore. So I picked up like a John Piper book and a Brian McLaren book, you know, neither known for their charismatic inclinations. Yeah. Um, one extremely progressive, like, you know, uh, liberal kind of uh, Christian, the other like about as fundamental and, and conservative as you can get on the other side. Um, and that's always been my nature to, to explore new different ideas. Um, and so growing up, I've, I've always kind of been questioning and, and adapting and growing um, in some way, shape or form. And that's so valuable, especially having a parent who encourages that, encourages mm -hmm. you to ask questions and to not just be apathetic or just settle in with whatever is happening. That's really valuable, I, I think. And what we're trying to do for our kids, too, is feel free to ask those crazy questions because there's mm. not a lot of space for that. And if there's not even space for that in your home, yeah, that's tricky. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. If you can't do it at home, you're really going to struggle to do it elsewhere. Oh, man, yeah. So I guess you have been asking questions kind of for your whole life. Mm. Um, so I know for a lot of people, when they go away to school or they start working as an adult, this is often what tends to trigger that because they're no longer in this small faith community of their childhood. Mm -hmm. Did you experience this at all, or did it start for you before you went to school and started working as an adult? I think it's tough to say. You know, I would, I would say, generally speaking, the huge shifts that I took were, were very much when I moved to California. I took four years of my life off. Uh, I, I did this uh, ministry school. I, I volunteered for the church for a few years, well, for a network of churches. I was traveling the world, speaking in different churches and conferences. And it was really in that, it, when I was exposed to such a, a breadth of Christianity, um, that's when I started to really start asking questions, especially as I saw in such a breadth of Christianity, it not working for so many people. Um, right. You know, we, we tend to focus on who it is working for, um, especially in our little bubble. You know, if we just are in our church, um, we focus on who the, who's doing it well, we elevate them, we focus on them. They're the people on the front. Um, and everyone else is just kind of given up. Well, you know, here's how to get to that place. If you just try harder, if you just do this, if you just do that. Um, but when you start to realize, oh gosh, that's actually a lot of people that this is not working for this little model. Um, and certainly the questions that people had, I was shocked by, I mean, I probably grew a lot more because people were asking me questions that I hadn't thought of. Um, and right. I was like, oh gosh, yeah, I've never thought of that, but actually now I think about it, that's an interesting thing. I'm going to look into it, you know, I'd, and I'd research, you know, uh, what was different views on hell or what are the different views on the cross or different things. And I'd be like, oh my gosh we kind of have just ignored a huge portion of the church history on this one topic because at some point the the tradition that we come from settled on one idea and has only taught that one idea for the last 300 400 years yeah um, it's kind of mind-boggling it's it's terrifying in, in some ways and understandable in another because if you genuinely believe that if you don't believe that particular belief you're going to burn in eternity forever mm -hmm. It's probably a good idea not to share the three or four other views and let people pick because right, right? i mean just tell them the truth right um, yeah 
uh, on some level i get that i understand why people um take that position but it is a very fear-driven position it's not a position driven mm-hmm. by uh inquiry by tr- by truth you know it's it's driven yeah. by fear right do you thinking back to that time do you remember what it felt like when those first seeds of doubt and questioning started i think i'm a weird 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 person so i know this because i work with thousands of people that have deconstructed i mean i've talked to thousands over the last kind of eight years or so and um the vast majority it's very scary it's very Mm -hmm. terrifying it's very painful for me it was really fun i i I am a weirdo because i loved every second of it it was not a scary or painful process there were um effects that were maybe slightly scary um, or there were effects that were painful. So, you know, I had things like friends that completely cut ties with me or mentors and things like that that just were completely just overnight stopped talking to me. I, I was pushed out of churches. I've been in churches that have pushed me out. Um, and so those were painful processes. But to be honest with you, I was too excited about this journey of discovering new ideas, new truth, exploring new ways to engage spiritually um, with the divine that it didn't really bother me too much. Um, And so I think I'm a bit of a weird anomaly in that. And it might be because I've spent most of my life questioning and realizing something's wrong. And my default reaction to realizing that I believe something wrong is to get excited about what could be true. Um, (laughs) That's not most people's default. Most people's default, you know, people come to me and say, Phil, I I feel like I've wasted 40 years of my life. You know, my entire life is just wasted. Um, but for me, yeah. I'm like, oh, gosh, no, I've, I've been growing for 40 years and now I can grow in a new way. You know, I can I can start to add more depth to that growth. Um, I don't see right. as anything as wasted. Um, and so I think it's just a different perspective that, that maybe helps me. Um, I, I also have a condition called alexithymia, which means that I don't know my emotions. And so I, when I feel oh. happy, when I feel sad, I don't know that I feel happy or sad. Um, wow. it's only in, I wonder if my husband has that <laughs> it's it's more popular uh, it's more popular more common than and people think about 10% of the population are affected by it and then within that it's a very broad spectrum um, you know so yeah, a, a right. lot of people have it in that that uh, spectrum uh, I'm somewhere in there as well maybe your husband is um, but it's, it's very common uh, for people not to be uh, aware but what what it means is often I'm not very aware of the pain and the mm hurt that sometimes this can cause because by the time i actually look back and go oh gosh that was a really painful process for me i'm fine i've kind of dealt with it if that makes sense which is kind of nice (laughs) and also it's a nightmare as well because i can be irritable or annoying or you know my wife will be like why are you so upset today and i'm like am i i I didn't realize i was upset um but that can make part of the process of my personal deconstruction has been um a, a, not quite as painful aspect yeah maybe maybe so or at least i wasn't aware it was so painful right right yeah, and I think that actually is very similar to what my husband's journey was with deconstruction because mm. we kind of did it together, but I am much more of an emotional feeling type of person than he is. Sure. <laughs> and so this was all a very exciting journey for him. And learning new things, that whole th- aspect of life is his MO constantly all the time. He's always mm. learning. Yeah, And I've only just recently started to become more like that because of being married to him and seeing how much he values that and how helpful it actually is to learn because yep. I didn't grow up like that because I didn't come from a home where that was encouraged in the same way. Yeah, It was a much more emotional family, which has its place as well. And so Absolutely. I am very good at reading emotions and feelings of others. My husband isn't uh, very good at that most times. Um, <laughs> love him, but we have our areas of <laughs> skill and it's great that we are together in that. Yep. I'm um, sure he is very appreciative that you can help yep. him with that. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, so my experience of deconstructing was definitely more emotional and it was definitely mm. more of a grieving process yes. of what I lost. And yeah. I still, things come up now and it's like, whoa, that is still something that was a big deal. And I'm still working through that. And yeah. It's like, wow, because I used to be one of those. I was on stage. I was a worship leader. I was there every Sunday and bought in. I was born in the church that we attend. Yeah. Nearly born in the building. (laughs) My mom went into labor with me while they were at church. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So I have been 
in that faith community my entire life mm. and to suddenly not think the same way and to question everything. I started out in the process being very angry about stuff and just how yeah. do people not see this? How do they not get how hurtful this is for people? And I'm sure you hear that a lot Absolutely. from others. So, yeah, it's been quite the journey. Lots of life experiences have contributed to it. We've gone on an infertility journey as well, and it's just lots of things that people don't understand. And, yeah, it's it's really reassuring to hear that there are a lot of other people who go through this too. Yeah. Well, right now it's probably the largest growing movement spiritually in the Western Hemisphere. There's right. more people gravitating to a post, um, post-Christianity post spirituality. So what's interesting is if you look at those uh, numbers, the, the 2,700 people that leave church every day in America, um, 78% of them say they still hold to some sort of spiritual faith. Yep. And so most of these people leaving are not becoming atheists or, you know, right. stop believing in some sort of God or, or Jesus or whatever. The majority of them, you know, four out of five of them still believe something and are still clinging to some level of spirituality. Um, and so there's a, there's this huge, that, that's about 2000 people every day joining this movement in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, that's well, a lot. I of feel like, yeah. And that's just, an I feel like my spirituality has, broadened even through Mm. this whole experience and i am much more inclusive of a lot more people and a lot more ways of thinking and being so that i feel like i am not more of a spiritual person but there's a lot more to it than meets the eye when it comes to certain um beliefs yeah and that's that's a very common thing that people um, are no longer in this nitty gritty, very narrow minded uh, spirituality mm-hmm. that, that can be very deep, but it's very, very um, uh, narrow in its in its right. uh, approach. And, and suddenly yeah. to be able to explore in a more broad minded uh, way and still go to the same depths, but to have so much more freedom to explore mm-hmm. in depths in new ways. You know, that's a very exciting thing. Um, yeah. And to include new people is, is, is very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's wonderful. So you've mentioned some myths that are associated with the journey of deconstruction, and I've mm. seen lots of your social media posts and things about this as well. Can you give us just a couple of what these myths might be and that people sure. may not fully realize? Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the big ones that uh, in our early research that actually even surprised me because I knew this was true, but I didn't know how true it was. Um, one myth that is common is people that deconstruct just want to stop going to church. They don't care about church. They're, they're you know, lazy, lukewarm, that kind of idea. As I said, you know, most people that uh, deconstruct are very passionate about their faith, very passionate about church as a whole. Most people stay in the church for much longer than they needed to. That's for sure. Um, usually to the point of being asked to leave in some way, shape or form. But what's interesting is about 33, 34% of people that deconstruct their faith, so uh, change their faith, still remain in churches. And so it's not to be, this group is not to be conflated with the de-churched movement, which is a label that a lot of um, academics give to people that leave church. Um, oh, okay. Because a yeah. lot of people, they don't leave church. They still remain in church. They have just deconstructed their faith. It's their faith has radically altered. But on some level, they manage to stay in church. It might be that they find that um, they find a progressive church nearby that's liberal and open enough that they can kind of get along there. Although a lot of progressive churches are very fundamental. It's very important that people don't just uh, mix those two worlds as well. Because most progressive churches are still very fundamental in a lot of their beliefs. Um and that's not a big marker of deconstruction. Um, but that's a big one, a really big one. A lot of people um, talk about uh, people that deconstruct aren't educated enough. Maybe they just haven't had it explained to them well enough. And I think that's, <laughs> again, proven again and again wrong. Most people that uh, uh, that are, have deconstructed are usually more educated in most of these right. areas. Um, now, not always. You know, I'm sure you could get someone that's, uh, you know, been through a PhD program in a certain area that probably knows more than most people that deconstruct in that area. Um, but people that deconstruct are passionately 
um, seeking and searching in their faith to try and see if and most of them want to hold on to their faith as well. Very few want to lose their faith. You know, the, you talk about grief, but losing your your community, your family, your friends, that's very uh, painful and a grieving process. But losing your relationship to God, losing your, uh, your concepts of eternal security, you know, these are massive existential crises that no one chooses to seek out um, right, no. yeah. and, and so that's a big one as well most people say uh, oh well people are just choosing to deconstruct you know that that's very rare that someone chooses to deconstruct most people are kick, like dragged kicking and screaming it, they have accidentally fallen off a cliff as they were seeking after gods and trying to find out more about gods and uh, yeah. trying to seek a more spiritually authentic true way of living and somehow they they fell off a cliff. <laughs> um, right. You know, it's, this it's, conversation we're having right now could very well be that cliff for somebody. And, and maybe it is. You know, it's, it's very often that you know we 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 look down and we see a thread on a rug and we go, oh, look at that thread, and we start pulling it. And before long, we're holding this big bundle of threads and we're not standing on anything anymore. Um, and that really mm-hmm. is what uh, deconstruction is like for some people. And they're left with this huge ball of threads going, well, do I try and weave this back into something or do I just throw it away and find something else to stand on? What do I do? Um, mm-hmm. And so it's a very uncertain process. It's not a process of certainty. But that has um, always been a, a deeply wonderful component of faith in spirituality for most people. Like, uh, you know. Uh, one of the dangers when we've made when we turned the christian religion into a religion of believing the right thing what we did was we demonized doubt and we glorified Mm -hmm. certainty and so doubt became a spiritual sin and certainty became a uh, a mark of holiness the more certain you were the more holy you were and the less you doubted the more holy you were but really um that's not true at all doubt is a very key component to growing in faith um, faith the word faith in the bible this greek word pistis it just literally means to trust it's a much better mm-hmm. translation actually to say trust than faith faith has become yeah. so warped in our english use um that's just when you read that in the bible or um, early text if you read a, a the word faith if you change it for trust you'll get a better idea of it, what it means because we've associated faith with now an intellectual assent um mm-hmm. but it's really to just trust and and to trust you need to you know sometimes you're not certain you know that's that's the component in trust is you have to trust someone and you're not sure you're you're not um and that's a very key component in um in having faith is to trust um and to be honest with you uh, another component of trusting if you're going to grow in your trust if you're going to grow and 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 experience new beliefs and 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 stronger beliefs you have to be open to being wrong and until you have some Mm, level of doubt you can't let go of what you already believe and so what happens is those that have made um certainty the mark of holiness is what they've done is they've they've disabled themselves from growing because they're not allowed to question what they believe already Um, Mm -hmm. which is a fundamental component in growing in any area of life any area of life if you want to grow you have to question what you believe Uh, you'll never grow into new things if you don't question what you already believe Um, and questioning is never a bad thing right you question something either you look at it and explore it and you realize oh i'm right and then you will Mm -hmm. you just know you're right and you've got more of a strong argument you know more clearly how to answer different questions that will be thrown at you or you realize you're wrong and that's a much better position to be in as well because now you don't believe something that's wrong there's no downside to questioning (laughs) Um, yeah. it's a very bizarre thing to to demonize questioning and demonize doubt um but but that is where we stand for the majority of people within the institutional church is doubt is demonized right well and because it's so connected to who we are as people our faith is so connected to that yeah it's like if i have to look at that then i have to look at myself as a person and how i fit into this world and then that is an existential crisis for people that they are not always ready for and no and it it is an existential crisis Uh, and you cannot you cannot overstate how painful scary traumatizing can be a lot of people Mm -hmm. who go through this um come out the other side with religious trauma you know it's a very uh it's a fairly new um concept it's still not made its way into the the official um diagnoses um but it's a it's a big conversation within the world of psychology right now is 
um, RTS, religious trauma syndrome, being a diagnosis within uh, complex PTSD. Hmm. Um, wow. And so yep. it really is a form of traumatic stress, uh, the, the, the experiences people have been through in the church. And if you think about it, you know, trauma uh, in the form of post-traumatic stress generally comes from the um, the belief that you are you are under threat of being um, attacked, hurt, harmed, killed, um, in yeah. some way, shape, or form. Now, a lot of time that can be linked to an emotion that your brain has, you know, misfired and thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. And it's, right. you were never really a threat, but that doesn't minimize actually how it affects. But when you look at religious trauma, it really, uh, it really makes sense. Well, if trauma comes from a, a fear that you are under threat of injury, harm, or, or being killed, what greater threat is there that you will be burned alive for eternity if you're wrong in any area oh my um, goodness yeah. you know, i talked to people that um I, I talked to someone recently and they were they were messaging me and they were like phil i haven't believed in an eternal conscious torment form of hell uh for about 10 years they they, they believe in a, a different variation of hell there's a few different beliefs about hell that are options within christianity and they've let go of the idea that god will burn a huge portion right. of the population for eternity. And so I've not believed that for 10 years. And yet frequently, probably at least three or four times a month, I wake up in a cold sweat because I have been having night terrors that I was wrong about it. And that God has sent me to hell and they go, and I wake up and it takes me a little while, but then I go, well, I don't even believe in this, but that's the level of trauma that is um, in, embedded in people. When we, when we, um, have come out of some of these toxic concepts. I would personally believe that that's a toxic picture of God and spirituality. I know many of your listeners probably disagree and that, that's okay. It's, it's, you know, it's a debate. It, it, there is a discussion yeah. about that. Um, that's what but, this is for, to have that discussion. Absolutely. Uh, and so, and I'm, I'm happy to have that discussion with anyone. I'm happy to share resources that educate in different yeah. areas and different perspectives. Um, but for me, the, the fruit that is shown there is very clear. It, it leads to very traumatic um uh, lives uh, and, and lives harrowed with uh, trauma, um, mm-hmm. and so yeah, it's, it's not a, it's not a small undertaking. And, and when you are initially going through that process, when you start to unravel and you start to question, you start to go, oh, "I'm not sure I, what I believe anymore." You're still sitting there thinking, "But that's not okay." Like, I mean, I have had it hammered into me my entire life in the church that I need to be a Christian. Non Christians, I know how it ends, and it doesn't go well for the people that aren't in. You know, the people mm. that aren't Christians, I don't want to be one of them. That's scary. Um, and so you're, you're left in this kind of place of going, well, I, I, I'm not going to, th-. most people don't throw out their entire Christianity. A lot of people deconstruct and stay within a, a Christian construct in some way, shape or form. Um, but they change a lot of their beliefs enough that what they grew up in as Christianity would consider them to be out, would consider them to be heretical, would consider them not to be a Christian anymore. You know, that's not the right perspective on Jesus. That's not the right perspective of the gospel. Um, and so they they still have that voice in the back of their head from 10, 20, 30 years of hearing, this is the mm-hmm. right belief. And the people that don't have that right belief, they're in trouble. Yeah. Uh, and that's scary. And I've seen this scary a lot with, yeah, I've seen that a lot with people in my world. And it's something that breaks my heart really for, for those who are on this journey and who are, have experienced the trauma of it. And especially when they go through it by themselves mm. and they don't have the support and the community around them to comfort them in those moments of grief and anger and frustration, which I did have that. And I'm so grateful for the community that I had and the family that was willing to go on that journey with us. And I'm really curious if you had that too. Did you have Mm -hmm. the support and the community around you or did you do it alone? And how did that affect you? To be honest with you, I did a lot of this in a very lonely uh, way. Um, When I was really in the midst of my deconstruction, I was very heavily involved in the charismatic world. Um, I was very uh connected to a lot of people that would have a lot to lose to be remotely associated with someone like me so i wasn't particularly open about my process and what i was going on uh, going through with them um i was helping write curriculum for about 10,000 churches um, oh wow and so um that was something i was like 
I should probably, you know, be aware of how this would affect people. People aren't ready to go through that. And so again, and, and also I would immediately lose the position I had. And so I was like, okay, well, that's not, it doesn't have to be coming out. And so I went on this very internally, very much on my own. I was speaking in churches and conferences and ministry schools around the world. And yet really I, I came to a place where I would speak about what I believed, but I would make sure that it was in areas that would work with where they were at. It wasn't mm. going to be, you know, if I had changed my view on hell, I wasn't going to talk about that because that's, you know, not a good thing to talk about in most evangelical charismatic churches. You know, they're going to oh, yes. be very black and white on what they believe about that topic. Um, and so I'll talk about something else. I'll try and uh, talk about the goodness of God and how God's always good or how to um, approach hard passages in the Bible or something like that. And, and you know, something that I can maybe t t take them on some baby steps in a direction I'd love to see them go, but not particularly... Um, out myself to the degree that I would suddenly have no connection with anyone, no way to relate to anyone. But the problem was mm. it was it was very hard because I was never really able to be fully myself. You know, I mm. always had a bit of a mask on at times. And yeah, that's a very painful that. process to be in because what happens is when you put a mask on um, to be able to receive love and um, acceptance is when you get home and you take that mask off, you didn't receive any love and acceptance. The mask did. Right. Um, yeah. and, and so it can be very tiring, very exhausting. I had a, uh, my, my entire income is based on donations. I do everything I do for free. Um, and so I had some partners that gave to me monthly and I made about a thousand dollars a month. I don't live off much. Um, and, uh, there was a very good chance that when I started to speak more clearly about this stuff, most of them would overnight stop giving to me. So how do I pay my bills? How do I do anything? I've not, I've not worked in a, in a conventional IT sense, which is what was my background many years ago. I've not done that for, gosh, 15 years now. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, it, it was sitting there going, oh, but I, I couldn't not be myself. And so eventually I, I did kind of rip the bandaid off and be a bit more open. Um, but I did mostly do that on my own. I had a few close friends over time that uh, came about. And that was mostly through me kind of connecting with people and in time, them just being around me and me being around them, we kind of rubbed off on each other and, and we kind of uh, grew and evolved together in a way that we could share and be open. Um, but until then, it was very painful, very uh, tough. Um, and even today, you know, it, I've got a thriving community in, in my local uh, community. I've got loads of great friends and wonderful people that I can connect with. But the churches that I've been involved with locally are not in the same place and it's not helpful for them to, for me to be around. Um, they're just in a very different place and mm -hmm. I'd love to hang out with them, but we just believe very differently. And so it's not very helpful. Um, and so I've had to disconnect myself from a lot of people that I really love and really would love to have in my life. Um, and so it, it has been hard to, to disconnect and, and to go through that process. Um, but I have been very lucky in, in creating a bit of a community here uh, that I do connect with. My family are in very different places uh, from each other and, and myself, um, but they're all, we're just, I, I don't know if it's the way we brought up, the way, you know, my mom and dad brought us up, but we're just kind of are cool with where people are at. It's okay. It's not a big deal. You know, we, we probably think each other are crazy or whatever, yeah. but that, that's fine. Like, it's just not a big deal at all. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, uh, my dad and my sister and, uh, one of my brothers is is a lot more um, conservative, kind of um, conventional Christian uh, than I would be. Uh, one of my other brothers is probably a little bit uh, less so, but maybe still uh, probably no one's as far off the deep end as me. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, it, 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 it's a dynamic that I live with, you know, but the, it's a bit like I often use the example of... Um, neo taking the is it the red pill i think he takes a red pill in matrix um not to be conflated oh, yeah. with uh the red pill movement uh but you know when you 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 take that pill neo his first thought is like dear god do i have to live in this existence now i would rather go back yeah. um you know you don't want to live in a scummy awful ship that's you know got recycled gross air and you eat gruel every day and you don't get to experience you know an amazing real life and yet this is real life you don't mm -hmm. get to go back. Uh, you could if you could try, but no one no one can. You know, the amount of people that message me every week that say, God, I wish I could go back. I wish I could just go back to church, switch off, raise my hands and sing a worship song and listen to the sermon and nod along as though I believed. I wish I could do that. Hmm. I don't. I can't do that anymore. I can't be that that inauthentic. And, um, 
And I think that's yeah. something that people really struggle with is when people say like, this is a, a choice, it's to make life easier. It's, uh, you know, people don't care. Like this is, this is a really painful, hard process that people are dragged into. Uh, in I would say by God, in a sense, it's by people's pursuit of the divine that mm-hmm. um, they find themselves dragged into this. And yeah, they wish they could go back to being nice and the ignorance is bliss c- component would be lovely. Um, but you don't, you, you can't do that. You can't not believe what you now believe, you know? Yeah. So then how can we come alongside instead of pushing away those asking the tough questions and who need that community of people around them on this journey? Yeah. I mean, it's tough. If people are on this journey, I think it's helpful for them to be able to connect with each other. And, and, and that's great. Um, and I think the, the, the challenge is finding one another when people aren't on this journey, if they are still in very much a conventional uh, Christian kind of uh, environment and have a very conventional Christian mindset, it's really hard. You, you're going to find this hard. And I have so much grace for people in that place. You're not you're not in a place where you need to be asking these questions. What you believe works for you. You know, and, and I always say, you know, people come across my Instagram page or whatever and they go, why would you say that? Oh, you know, this is awful. Like, uh, how, like, why don't do that? Don't do that. Don't say that. You know, and I'm like, hey, this is not for you. This is for people that are on this journey. If you're not on the journey if what you believe works for you, don't go near this. You know, I'm I'm running around the world going, don't take Morpheus's red pill. You're not going to yeah. like it. You know, right. it's only people that are seeking this out that I really would say, okay, if you want to do this, do it. But there is no going back. You know, do you really want to take this? Um, and so I think if, if that's where people are at, you're going to find it really hard to engage with this community, with these types of people. If you've got a, a son or a, a sister that is deconstructing and you're not, and you have, you don't understand it and you can't see why, you're going to really, really struggle to see why. And trying to understand is a really dangerous thing for you because it might send you off the cliff as well. Yeah. Um, and so I, I've got every grace and, and I do say, be cautious with it, you know, figure out how you can connect beyond just Christianity, perhaps beyond just talking mm-hmm. about God. Um, and, but ask questions, you know, I, I guarantee most people are deconstructing if you're honest um, and you're not doing it to trick, to try and manipulate, to try and control, um, to try and bring someone back into what you believe if you're just asking genuine questions and you're just trying to help them feel loved and accepted and, and heard, that does huge quantities. People that are deconstructing don't need you to agree with them. They just want to be accepted, mm-hmm. uh, generally speaking. Maybe some would really like an agreement here right. or there, um, but you don't have to agree with them. But I would, I would encourage you not to try and change them. The, the danger is what most people try and do is they try and bring them back to christianity as they know it when you know this person's left that they know what you're saying inside and out they, they lived that for you know 10 20 30 years you're not going to convince them of something they already know the argument of that they probably used on other people back in the day and so you have to accept that they for some reason don't find that persuasive anymore and have moved on and and so to try and bring them back into what you believe it's not going to go well most people that deconstruct are very much at a place where they don't want to have another authority a position of authority telling them what to believe because mm-hmm. they should believe it they want to figure things out themselves and so try not to fall into that trap of of trying to um of being what they're running from i think that's a mm-hmm. really key thing but give them a space to list to be heard um to share ask questions be honest but if it's scary for you be open and go hey this is a bit scary for me i am quite content in my faith and it's kind of messing with me a bit can we move on and talk about the football or can we talk about i don't know x factor yeah. or our kids or you know can we can we move on because this is too much but maybe we can pick it up again in a week or two you know i think that's right. okay no one's no one requires you to suddenly change to your position it's it's a problem with our society today we're so dualistic that if there's two people in a room with two views one is right and the other is evil um and it's like no 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 Maybe one is right and one's wrong, perhaps, but generally speaking, there's probably truth to both positions. There's probably lies and, and, and misinformation to both positions. And if we talk and learn from one another, we'll probably both grow in a healthy way. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's what I would encourage. Yeah, that's great. That's really good. Um, something that I've been asking myself a lot too is being on the other side, 
having deconstructed and I'm learning what I want to reconstruct with, I struggle with wanting to get people started on the journey um, Mm. to get them to see ways that certain beliefs may be hurting others. And that is part of the reason why I did start this podcast in the first place was in my journey of learning how to love others well and how to have good conversations without it being good and bad, black and white, you're wrong, I'm right. How do we sit at the table and talk about these things and be gracious with each other and not agree? But Mm. for where I have come to now, I see a lot of the ways that previous beliefs have hurt people very badly. And we talked about this with the trauma that a lot of these beliefs have brought on people. So for me, how can I be gracious with those who aren't on this journey? And how can I talk about things and how can we talk about things in a way that uh, supports those on the other side who don't want to touch this, but also is in a way of maybe you could look at this a little bit because what you're doing is hurting others. Yeah. I think this is a real challenge. And I mean, again, this goes back to just the way we, um, we communicate as society is, is not maybe the most healthy uh, right now and hasn't been for a very long time, probably. Um, if, if you studied any form of human psychological development, which is a, a fascinating field to look at, um, there's dozens and dozens of different models. But what's interesting is these models evolved in multiple societies around the world over the last kind of 80, 90 years. Um, they tried to track, well, how do humans develop in their minds? How do they grow psychologically? And very much they weren't talking to each other. They were independent studies. And what's interesting is some have maybe like five steps or three steps or eight steps. But what's interesting is if you take a step back, they all move in the same direction. They all follow the same trajectory. And so it's only when we started to globalize that these communities started talking to each other and going, oh, my God, all our modes, all our models are actually very similar. There is a very clear way that humans psychologically develop. And and the reason I say that is that um, at, at certain stages... Um, which most conventional Christians will find themselves at. Um, It's called traditional stage. And it's a stage of being where psychologically your main drive is to feel safe, to feel certain and to feel secure. And generally speaking, you'll accept authority figures easier. You'll want status quo. You don't want change. You're happy to give up some of your own liberties even to to make sure that everyone kind of cohesively works together well. Um, It's a very... um, it's a, a a very common position that most people that find themselves in the conventional church will be in. And so it's really important that as someone that's deconstructed, typically you've moved on to the next stage, which is stage modern, it's often called, um, which values um, reason, uh, its own self uh, ability to regulate and to, and to reason and to come to logical conclusions. And so it lets go of a lot of authority positions. It lets go of a, well, someone said the Bible's the authority. Okay, yeah, maybe, but who said that and why and what Bible and which verses and why is that verses and how did the Bible come about anyway? And they, so they start questioning things first and then they go, okay, I'll give that some authority, but they come to that conclusion. Um, and so what you'll find is most people that are deconstructing are in that, that next stage. Um, now what they fail to remember is that just before they changed, they were in stage traditional and they really valued feeling safe and certain and secure. And so when they mm-hmm. communicate to people that are in stage traditional, the problem is They're not thinking, first and foremost, I need to make this person feel safe, secure, and certain. So I'm trying Mm -hmm. to unravel some of their beliefs. That's going to be very scary. It's going to be, they're going to feel uncertain. They're going to feel unsafe. They're not going to feel very secure. So how do I do it in a way that increases those components, makes them feel a little less unsafe, makes them feel a little less uncertain? That's a huge component when we're dealing with people that are in a very different psychological state. Um, and so that would be my um uh advice uh is at at the broadest scope of course nitty-gritty and different relationships is going to look different some and you can't just simply label someone one stage or another psychologically it's very complex you know some people might be at one stage psychologically in their spiritual perspectives but very different in the way they think about family or the way they think about work or science or different things so it's not black and white But I think when we're talking about spirituality, be aware that most people that are very rooted in their spirituality, 
they're driven by safety and certainty. And so trying to help those components be a part of the the dynamic, you're making that person feel a little more safe when you when you bring up this topic. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's a hard thing to do. I'm not saying it's easy, but it makes it easier if you can figure out ways to do that. Yeah, and I guess that's where it's really valuable for us to remember where we've been mm. and what we've been through and then to use that and be empathetic towards others and where they're at too and Absolutely. be like, okay, yes, right, <laughs> I was there or... I can understand an aspect of what you're feeling and I will be gracious with you on this journey. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. And really, really huge. And I believe that we'll be deconstructing, reconstructing in countless ways for basically our entire lives, whether it's like Mm. our beliefs on tithing or race or climate change or divorce or sexuality or whatever it might be there. The list is literally endless. (laughs) It is. It is. (laughs) Can you share, just as we're starting to close, a little bit of where you've landed on your reconstruction journey and then some words of advice and encouragement for those who are just starting on this journey? Sure. I think um, in some ways it has been reconstruction. In other ways, it's been a a brand new construction as well. And and I think Mm -hmm. um, one thing that's maybe problematic at times is a lot of people that talk about reconstruction talk about reconstructing what was deconstructed in a sense. And so there's an assumption that when you deconstruct things, well, you're obviously going to then rebuild something that looks very similar or at least quite similar. Um, and and, and to some degrees, I've definitely incorporated a lot of my past life that I've questioned and tore apart and and took apart. I've brought with me. I've really liked some of that and, and I've brought it with me. Um, but in other areas, actually, it's it's been in the push to uh, explore uh, spirituality and the divine in, in new ways that I've brought new things into the equation. You know, it's only because I deconstructed um, my prayer life that I started to explore maybe Eastern approaches to meditation and contemplation. And now I've definitely mm. included some of those in my my new way of living life. And so yeah. um, I wouldn't so much call that a, a reconstruction as a completely new construction that, that I would never have really probably been able to uh, construct within the framework of Christianity I was in at the time. Um, and so I think it's a weird quasi mix of everything and everything. Honestly, it's a fascinating mix of what I believe and how I believe it. And I'm very, very hesitant to tell people what I believe because I genuinely believe um, that for most people, what works for them will be quite unique. I really do think that the divine, that God meets us where we are. It's why some people love worship music and other people can sit and pray for 10 hours and other people want to listen to sermons all day and other people want to, <laughs> you know, go to the uh, the Sunday school with the kids and look after the kids and, and connect with, and they feel they connect with God when they're helping the kids. You know, it, it, we're all very unique and different. And, and so for me, I'm very slow to give a prescriptive, this was my reconstruction, this is what maybe yours might look like or should look like um because i do think it looks very unique for different people and and for some people some stuff just doesn't make sense and that's that's okay it's okay and mm-hmm. and what makes sense to me might make no sense to other people that's very common because i'm a weird person um <laughs> but i do think there is hope for reconstruction i think with everything that gets deconstructed we're 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 a being we're a species that wants meaning that needs a narrative that needs some sort of um foundation built and so everything we take apart we 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 look to rebuild something new to to establish something new to believe in to hold on to to give us a a purpose and a reason um uh, and and so you'll find that even an atheist most atheists feel they have purpose and reason um and so that's a, a component within humanity that we rebuild and we and we develop that and so I think people that are going through deconstruction, people that are lonely, feeling uh, a lot of grief, a lot of uncertainty, it's okay. It really Mm -hmm. is okay. I I can say that with great confidence, having worked with thousands of people, it is okay. Um, It's not easy and it's not necessarily fun, but it is okay. What you're doing is not some weird anomaly. You're not alone. Um, It it, it does get easier. It does get better. Um, it, It 
will probably happen again and again like you said you'll probably go through cycles or you'll every time you think oh i've arrived i figured out what i believe and how i believe you something happens a big black lives matter movement yes. starts and you go oh crap exactly. what do I believe about race and how does that involve uh, interwoven into my spirituality and my faith tradition oh man i'm gonna have to start taking this apart and reconstructing um and so you're gonna go through cycles and new things but it does get easier um and I would say, if you want to talk, I am here. Like, I, I love chatting with people. I love connecting with people. Um, send me a message on Instagram, chat with me. Um, I would love to help. Um, it's, it's what I do full time. It's all I do with my time apart from hanging out with yeah. my wife and my friends. I just chat with people and help people um, and try and get resources out there. Um, and so you don't have to be alone. I, I'm really happy to chat and, and to process with you. And, and the deconstruction network that we mentioned earlier is a great place to go and see if there's some people in your area. It's still very new, but at least there'll be one person in your area where if you join and uh, the next person that looks in your area will find you. Um, and so yeah. that's a, a great resource as well. But yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Phil, for joining me today and sharing your heart and your journey for those on this crazy ride of deconstruction. Thank you very much. Hearing about Phil's deconstruction experience and remembering my own was a good reminder to be gracious and open to the journey of others. This is why we started the Active Listening Podcast to begin with, to share our stories and our struggles. No two stories are exactly the same, and there is so much we can learn from each other. If you'd like to hear more about what Phil has to say on this topic, please check out his podcast, The Phil Drysdale Show. You can also visit the show notes to find a link to his website and social media, in addition to the Deconstructionist Network and survey. If you have any questions or comments on this episode, need further clarification on anything you've heard, or you'd like support on your journey of deconstruction, please don't hesitate to reach out or contact us at activelistening.life at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter. Additionally, reviews on iTunes are always welcome. Thanks for listening, and please join us for the next season. Music